It's time for the Access of Easy podcast, the weekly technology digest that keeps you ahead of the curve. Brought to you by EasyDNS.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Axis of Easy. My name is Joey. At least for the moment, I am uh, controlling my own thoughts, emotions, and uh, limb movements. But uh, who knows how much longer that'll be the case for. <laughs> the other panel is Len, as always. What's going on, buddy? How are you? <laughs> That's going okay. How are you, Joey? I'm good, man. I'm good. The reason why yeah. I'm laughing is because I, I, I'm just, you know, the quote that we gave last week, the person that not won it, but the person that said it, it's an interesting yeah. person that said it. I just, <laughs> see? <laughs> uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't often read the uh, quotes until we actually get to the show, but yeah, I see that. Wow. I would never guess that. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's get into it. We got a lot to talk about today. Friday morning, beautiful Friday morning here in Ontario. Number yeah. 335. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to Access VC yet, do so on YouTube, uh, on your favorite podcasting app. You can get us every week in your feed. And uh, of course, go to accessvz.com and put your email down. You get a little bit of a discount and you get the newsletter full of all the latest and greatest in data breach and, and overreach. And so Len, last week's quote, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And you devalue the citizenship of every Canadian in this place and in this country when you break down and make it conditional for anyone. That was from PMJT, Justin Trudeau. Uh, lots of correct answers, but Larry got it first. So congrats, Larry. How does everyone know that? Not us. This week's quote, by and large, language is a tool for concealing the truth. I really like that. I am a fan of that quote, big time. If you know who that was by, without Googling, of course, don't pervert the process. We say this every week. Put it in the comments and you get your next round of renewals on Easy DNS, which is great. Uh, Len, six stories today? Seven? There's a lot of stories today. So where do you want to start? Where do you six, like? Six, but yeah, we'll talk about the mother of all data breaches. Actually, the mother of all breaches. This is a huge data leak. And uh, yeah, so like as I mentioned, this is being dubbed the mother of all breaches. And they give it an acronym, MOAB, MOAB. I don't know. I'm going to call it the mother of all breaches. Let's just use that as the name that's going to be associated with this thing. And this is a compilation of many other data leaks. And it's containing information from breaches from companies like Tencent, Weibo, MySpace. Who the heck mm -hmm. is using MySpace these days? But I'll explain why this is included here. And LinkedIn. And all of this information, some 26 billion records, is contained in a file about the size 1.2 terabytes. And for those wondering, that's roughly two times the size of the whole Bitcoin blockchain to date. That's a lot of data. And I'm sure that's compressed data at that. And some experts believe that the criminals will use this information for phishing attacks and giving all the information we've been hearing about phishing attacks lately. I always suggest people out there be on guard for suspicious emails because you might be targeted if you are one of these 26 billions of records that they've compromised or that they've amalgamated here. And through this whole exercise, and people are, are wondering if there's going to be an increase in something called credential stuffing attacks. And credential stuffing attacks are a, a type of cyber attack, and it's not very complex it's just a, they're using stolen names and passwords stolen usernames and passwords from one website in order to try to gain access to another website and people they tend to be reusing passwords and because of that they're going to be feeling a lot of pain now 
I, I mentioned earlier that it was taking information from Tencent, Weibo, MySpace, and, and LinkedIn, and so forth. So this has been done for a number of years. So a lot of these could be relatively old information, relatively old usernames, relatively old passwords. Yet mm -hmm. it looks like people are still reusing a lot of this. And it, it, it's a reminder that people out there should be using strong passwords, different passwords for different websites and the whole nine yards. Because, you know, people might be scoffing at what I'm saying, but studies are showing that 60% of people can still be expected to reuse passwords. That's a significant number. Yeah, and around 15%, which is a sizable number of people, they use one password for absolutely everything they do online. That's an easy way to get information from them. So if they were encapsulated in this data breach, those 15% could easily get wrecked in the process if they're using this for banking or any other financial services. Well, unfortunately, they got to feel the pain as a result of this. So yeah, be very wary, A, for phishing attacks, but also B, be very careful when you're using an, a password, even a username. Different passwords and different usernames will take you a very long way. By not doing so, it's only going to get worse over time. I'm not going to add much to this story because I think it's, you know, you did a good job summarizing it. Just two things. One, you notice a lot of these services you mentioned there are services that have been around for the better part of 15 or 10 or 15 years. And this article mentions this too. Do you know why I think that's the case? Because only a few years ago did art, did services like Chrome and, you know, I think it was called something else before, but it's called Edge now, Microsoft Edge and other browsers start to enable you to have sort of a unified sign-in and store your passwords locally on the browser, but also in the cloud. So if you move from computer to computer, device to device, whatever, you could always have your password there. So it enabled more complex passwords. Great. The problem with that is that, you know, as we've seen on this story a bunch, or as we've seen on this show a bunch of times, and this story is, you know, it's like this, this is sort of like probably the first piece of an ongoing story that hasn't been written yet but you can almost see the same way that last pass has been compromised already you can almost see that there's going to be like this huge honeypot of passwords now that microsoft edge and chrome generate for their users as under the guise of you know strong passwords but what what's actually happened is that you have this huge database of stuff that can be compromised now and you know what i don't think a lot of people do even if they use good password hygiene is they're using the same email for everything so if you get one password or one email and, and are able to get into an account, it opens a lot of doors for you if you're a nefarious actor. So I, I'm curious to see how this continues to develop as we kind of go on, not just this story particularly, but you know, we've, we, how many times on the show have we said that there's like this, he, these huge honeypots forming, right? As you start to see companies become, um, you know, leviathans in the electronic uh, or in the, um, you know, internet era, let's say, you know, if, if you got, if you got a, a home PC, you have passwords for Amazon, Google, Facebook, maybe if you use it, Twitter, if you use it, your bank, you know, what else is there? Everyone has those things, right? And the browsers are storing so much of the information now that it's becoming an appealing target. And as we've seen in the past, they're not always as safe as you think. So, I mean, what do you recommend, Len, if you're, if you're a guy, I mean, you're, you're usually the one who's more careful about this stuff than, than I am. What do you recommend for people who have like five, six, seven accounts and they want to use secure passwords but not do cloud storage? Like, are you just a pen and paper guy? Like, what, what other options are there? That's really the best option in my view. Well, people like Bitwarden, but that's cloud-based. So yeah. I would recommend Vault Warden, which is a instance where you could run locally on your computer and you could store all your passwords on it and you could do backups and the whole nine yards. 
So just be careful though, if you do lose all the information there, you lose all the passwords that are associated with it. So make sure that when you are using this Vault Warden, that you're backing up everything correctly, putting it in, in a secure place, even if there's a fire or a flood or whatever, yeah. that it doesn't get wrecked in the process. As, but yeah, it's very, totally very recommend important, that. as we know, right? The uh, anti-natural disaster uh, media yeah. information transfer for sure. And you could even take it a step further if you wanted it to be a little creative. You, you could then, you could encrypt the backup in such a way that it's nearly impossible or it takes you know thousands of years to break into it. And that, if you really wanted to put somewhere online, I guess you can on the cloud, so you have access to it. So that could be some fire and theft protection, but that's then it's uh, introducing an element of risk that maybe you don't want to. Either way, that's what I would recommend. Look into Vault Warden, it's available for Linux and it's easy to run. Yeah, okay, what's next? The NSA, looks like they're doing some naughty things out there because it's being reported that the NSA is or have purchased data on American citizens yeah. and their internet behavior. And they've been doing this through what they call commercial bank, commercial brokers. And all this without a warrant. So they're just able to purchase it, no warrant required, <laughs> and that's it. But this was all discovered by Senator Ron Wyden just last week. And once this came about, it was raising concerns what's going on here because even foreign governments then could also be potentially buying the very same data from these commercial mm -hmm. brokers. It's a lot of information that is available out there for sale. And the data is what they call, this is from the NSA, quote, related to wholly domestic internet communications and internet communications were one side of the communications, end quote. So they say it does not involve content of the communications, whatever that means, but they're doing this they're saying this, they're doing this as a way to try to track mal malware attacks and the likes. Yeah. So they're doing this with the guys that it is going to be ultimately good for us. And there's going to be a level of protection they're going to be able to provide to us as a result of getting this information. But all I have to say is, I, I don't want to speak too much about this because I don't want to be subjected to one of these purchases, <laughs> my information being purchased. <laughs> Again, you are the product, right? Yeah. Like this is another inst instance where you are the product, the information which you are somehow purposely or indirectly putting on the internet is being purchased and it's being used in such a way that could potentially be impacting you. They're saying they're going to be trying to track malware. Take that for with a grain of salt. If you believe that to be true, great. If not, well, what is the real intent here? I do not know. But it's not just the U.S. government that could be purchasing this, they're saying. It's also even foreign governments as well. So there's a lot here to digest. And there are some dots that cannot be connected, at least with the information I have here. But again, this is another reason why you got to be very careful when you're doing anything on the internet. <laughs> Do you actually not know what the intent is? Or are you just I'm not going to say for, it. Uh... <laughs> I, I, I refuse to say it. I, I think that this is like really damaging stuff for the, the you know, three-letter agency in the States that seems to be constantly up to no good, right? You led the story with that they're up to no good, but it seems to be the, the sort of default setting for the NSA. Over the years, we've seen these guys under the guise of security force their way into the private lives of American citizens and probably international uh, citizens as well. Then, I, I mean, you know, I have friends in the United States that I text with and DM with and all these things. And I suspect that those communications are more or less open at this point. Unfortunately, there's a, uh, a U.S. senator. I can't remember his or her name that put forward a bill only this week or last week uh, that basically the intent was to remove from circulation and delete and destroy 
all the data that had been acquired by the U.S. government vis-a-vis -vis these means, this like brokerage and purchase means, it was met with bipartisan rejection. Uh, you know, of course, right? Like you're nodding your head. There's no, the government's not going to save you. And so as much as like, you know, Len and I talk to you every week about things you can do in your own life and they may seem a little cumbersome, the, the alternative is this, right? The, the, the apps and devices you use are taking your data. They tell you they're protecting it, but then, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the correct means, the right loophole, it's not private at all. It's the opposite. It's available for purchase. It's, it's you know, big boxed warehoused with these brokers and sold to the government for what's probably not that bad a price if you can print the money to buy it with, right? Uh, nothing here is, is surprising or particularly new. But uh, it's disappointing all the same. So just be aware and, and maybe think, rethink the level um, of difficulty you're sort of willing to endure in your day-to-day -day life to protect your data. It's becoming more and more common that the data that is given away or purchased is used against you. So think about these things. And one way they're going to try to get this information from you too is, and not just them, but I'm talking about the nefarious third actors, are going to be phishing attacks. And one way to stem this is DMARC enforcement, and this went live this week on February 1st, in fact, and this is going live or has went live on a ton of email client or email servers, yeah. um, it's namely Yahoo and Gmail. So most of the world is going to be encompassed in this. And this is, <laughs> I think, a good thing based on what I read here. So, yeah, DMARC enforcement went live, as I mentioned, as of February 1st. And uh, this is called this is uh, the acronym for domain based message authentication reporting and conformate conformance sorry conformance and this is going to hurt spam emails that are going to be going out at least a number of spam emails mm -hmm. going out. i'm not sure if you get any or if anybody gets any every but, day every day yeah so the so spam phishing emails and stuff like that's going to be should theoretically be drastically reduced from this because it's going to be limiting the domain the originating domain by no more than five thousand emails per day into the gmail system and so essentially the 5,000 and first email coming from that domain is going to be essentially locked out and not able to be sent. So that's going to limit the amount of spam and phishing emails that are going to be going out. So to break this down to, to, to understand what DMARC is, think of it like a gatekeeper for your email domain. And it works in three different steps. And the first it's checking IDs. It's like a security guard verifying IDs. And DMARC relies on two existing technologies. One it checks if the email sender's address matches an authorized list similar to like showing an ID card. Mm -hmm. And the second, it verifies the email authenticity like a tamper-proof seal. It's ensuring like this thing hasn't been altered. So another thing it does, it sets rules. So the domain owner, the person running it, sets the rules for what happens if someone tries to enter with a fake ID or a broken seal. This is an unauthenticated email. So what could happen in that case, they could either quarantine the email, they could hold it for review, they could reject it, bounce it back, or they could do mm -hmm. none. They could simply just monitor what's going on. So it's just like a, a guard that's reporting on suspicious activities. That's all DMARC is. And it's going to send out reports of emails that have fake authentication, and it can help you identify and stop misrepresentation moving forward. So all this combines you know, with the rule, the rule checking, the rule setting, and reporting gives people a little bit more safety and security moving forward, as long as it's done correctly. This is all theoretical. Let's see how things could play out in the, in the future. Maybe they could find a way around this. But it looks like, based off this, it could potentially limit spam and phishing attacks moving forward. Where do you come down on 
uh, you know, the sort of freedom of <clears throat> different or different. Um, I don't want to call them, you know, distributors, but part of me says that there's a the broader problem with spam emails is like just that there's there's no what is the best way to say this there's no there's no like method to to for gmail who has a pretty good spam filter to just automatically filter these things on their own before this and I, i'm not sure why like how, how is it possible that we've gone now like 30 40 years of email you know commercial email and just not been able to figure this out until now until today or today this week i guess but it, it just doesn't make sense I, I don't know it doesn't make sense to me right like we're doing so many other things and developing so many other technologies and god knows if this was any if this was in any way you know beneficial to to e email providers you know retail email providers they would have done this before i i don't know i don't know why this took so long my gmail is constantly full it's like I can't, I cannot stay in front of the spam. It's just, it's impossible. It is an impossible task. You're just deleting 500, 600 emails a day, uh, trying to get in front of that and get back to, you know, baselines. So like Gmail doesn't keep trying to sell you, you know, five gigs of storage for two bucks a month or whatever they're pushing these days. Uh, but it, it never ends. So I'm happy to see this. I, I will know right away if it's working because uh, I am one of the many people, I'm sure, like I mentioned, that's just constantly on a full inbox. So let's see how, how this goes. But I'm happy to see this, man. It's good stuff. Now, if you have, I'm not sure if you do, I'm not going to ask you, but for people out there that have Proton Mail, I don't recall getting spam in my Proton. I, I have a, I have a Proton Mail too, and I, yeah, I never get spam in there. No. Well, it, it has DMARC enabled, at least from what I understand, but well before this. It, mm -hmm. Is that the reason, or are they doing something else? Are they being proactive? I don't know. Uh, but it, my Proton Mail seems to be pristine in comparison to my Gmail account. Really, eh? Mm hmm. I it guess it is. I, I, yeah, I never get uh, I never get spam. I, I used to use Proton to communicate with uh, other NIMS on Twitter, but uh, I haven't in a long time now that I'm kind of a public face. Maybe it's time to, you know. Shift get back, back to it. I gotta. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah. I have to start one of these like you know, bra, uh, Twitter nims and just start tweeting about uh, romance and physical fitness. Anyway, story for another well, time. <laughs> let's talk about uh, Twitter and uh, being anonymous because they are shutting down something called Knitter. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you know anybody that used it. I do know one person that was a big proponent of using Knitter, mm -hmm. and. Well, for people that are wondering what the heck Knitter is, this is a privacy-oriented front-end for Twitter. So instead of using the app that you normally use from your phone or just going to the website, uh, either x.com or twitter.com, you go to Knitter, and Knitter is a front-end to access your account and other people's accounts. But this was an alternative, and you didn't need an account to actually use it. So with Knitter, you could use that or could have used that to browse Twitter without an account. but this has since been shut down because Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, they've disabled guest accounts. And this is negatively impacting Knitter. And mm -hmm. they relied on this as a result. So there are now fewer options that are available for people who want to anonymously access Twitter, which is too bad. And there are some alternatives out there if you want to use something that's like Twitter, but not quite Twitter. You know, there's Mastodon, there's Threads, Blue Sky. Noster, it, it's pick pick whatever you think is best. But these are all different networks. They're not associated with Twitter, so you're not going to get direct access to the information on Twitter. So this is too bad that they're going ahead 
with this process, but I, I would I don't know the, the official reason. Did you end up getting it? Why they disabled the accounts? Was it because of privacy or security reasons? Yeah, they, they make the case that it's you know a UI thing and a and a security thing. They're lock they've been locking down the Twitter API for the better part of you know two years, three years, even before Musk took over. I was a user of for a long time on iPhone and um, Android of third party apps. I used to use Phoenix on Android, F E I F E N I X, and Tweetbot on Android or uh, iPhone. And both those apps were far superior to the baseline Twitter app. It was around the time when Twitter introduced the current quote tweet format, where the where the tweet that you're talking about is embedded in your in your tweet, that they started to have problems with the API. Um, openness let's let's call it with the third party providers once that style of tweeting became pervasive uh and really really propagated on twitter it was clear that there was a gap between the usability of those third party apps and twitter you were giving up a lot in terms of quality of experience by going to the standard twitter app but you had no choice because all the stuff on your timeline was using quote tweets and on the other apps the third party apps you couldn't see what the data was for the quoted tweet. And so that's where it began. And I suspect that Twitter realized early that they didn't actually have to improve the quality of their app. They just had to gatekeep the most important piece of the of the the experience, right? And they did that. And over time, I think they they probably saw a lot of people going over there. Now, this is a bit different than what happened on Knitter, but directionally, that was the cause, I believe. And and I don't know anyone who is using this. I I've heard of this, but I'm you know, addicted to Twitter, like many millennials are. And uh, I've never thought like I need a, you know, guest instance to view something. I, I'm always just signed in on whatever device I'm using. But these things are valuable, right? Pri and, and what you're seeing here is another example of privacy oriented tools being squashed, basically. I mean, what else can you call this? There's no reason to do this, right? Um, except that you want people on your app, because when they're on your app, you can feed them the algo and target them with ads and stuff like that. So make it this what you will. But uh, ultimately, it's it's just a move to to bring you into the data ghetto that, uh, that Twitter's using to sell um, their product. Well, let's move on to talk about Google because they may be changing the wording on the incognito browsing within Chrome. And <laughs> this is it's, it's anything but anything but incognito. It really it's, they say it's designed to protect your privacy from other users who use the same device, but it does not protect your privacy when going and visiting a website. Mm -hmm. And Google has recently changed the wording in the incognito mode to make this more clear. And this is all re the result likely from a class action lawsuit that was filed against Google for their incognito mode. And it was noticed that this change took place in the latest Chrome Canary. And this is the, an early released experimental version of the Chrome browser, and it's really only recommended for advanced testing. Well, it has the following notice when opening an incognito browser. It says, you're gone incognito. Others who use this device won't see your activity, so you can browse more privately. This More privately. The... More privately. Right. <laughs> this won't change how data is collected by websites you visit and the services they use, including Google. So there you go. It's it's in there. <laughs> the information could still be gathered by not just the, the mothership, but also websites themselves. So it's another reason why people should be using browsers that respect your privacy. There's lots out there. You can find them. Uh, Brave is one. Um, Mulvad browsers another. Firefox is tons. 
do your own research. But with using one of these browsers that respect your privacy, you could limit the amount of information that's being sent back to the mothership. And also remember that websites, they are still able to track information regardless if you're using incognito or not. And really one of the best ways to hide your tracks is to use a solid VPN and or Tor. Other than that, you're just exposing your information. They could connect dots, IP, information you're sending over. And then, you know, the incognito or not, you're, you're known. What can you say, Len? You know, there's, uh, <clears throat> I, I like Tor. I use Tor when I need to be private. Um, you know, I'll dox myself a little bit there. But when I need to be private, I, I do use the Tor browser um, from, from the Tor website. You can't use the Tor browser on an iPhone. At least not easily. It's there's no like clear Tor app in the App Store. I don't know what it's like on Android. There's but, an uh, I, Yeah, exactly. It's side loaded, right? But the, what you're seeing is a crackdown again on privacy. Everybody needs your data. Your phone provider needs your data. Your your phone, uh, you know, software needs your data to feed every everybody. Just wants to feed you ads and know where you're going and what you're doing. And, uh, you know, ads are sort of the least nefarious use of that data. The most nefarious use, as we mentioned earlier, would be uh, gifting it to the NSA for uh, the low, low price of, you know, a million dollars for 100 billion, you know, packets of uh, user data and information and tendencies. You should, you should just not, especially for Google, everyone knows that Google's model is advertising, or at least it was, and maybe you make the argument that's cloud now, but Google's ad model requires that you are giving them information. And if you think that they're going to allow you a product in their suite of products that come default on all their devices, to remove them from the equation to, to stop their prying eyes, I got a bridge to sell you. It's just not going to happen. And uh, you got to know that, man. It's not that hard to figure this out. I mean, you and me, you and me would have known this anyways. Uh, I didn't need someone to go to Canary to tell me that the uh, you know the the quality of that privacy tool is not the best. The answer is always going to be Tor um, until someone outlaws that too. But uh, for now, that's that's where you got to go if you got to be private. I don't use Tor that often, but when I do use it, I'm always happy with the experience. I think a lot of people, maybe maybe not listeners and viewers of this show, but if you if you've not tried Tor, try it. It's not as bad as you think. It's not as uh, bumpy as you think. No, I just checked. It's actually available in the Play Store as well. I'm, I'm pretty Great. shocked at that. That's, that's surprising. It, yeah. If you ever try to, to Google something, you get sometimes um, DuckDuckGo duck, duck, and others just don't cut <laughs> it. It's hard to find an instance where Google is going to accept your Tor browser. You have to just reload it and try to find wow, it. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. I, I find that it's often you just have to keep trying and trying until you just brute force in. Uh, but mm. anyways, let's move on. Um, Florida man. Let's talk about Love this it. guy. Anytime uh, the story starts with Florida man, you know you're in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're not going to talk about like the the names of that's being associated here, the scattered spider. And I'm not not even going to bother ranking it. This is pathetic names. But anyways, <laughs> this Florida dude, he's being suspected of involvement of a sim swap spree and membership in hacker groups. And I wonder if this is the same guy that was involved with the SEC Twitter account <laughs> hack where they had. A, he's got he's grabbing Gary's sim. <laughs> Maybe he does. But anyways, this guy, he his real name is Michael, sorry, Noah Michael Urban, but his aliases are Sosa and King Bob. Love that King Bob name. Anyways, <laughs> the man allegedly used social engineering tactics to manipulate employees of a lot of businesses, including telemedia, to a uh, telecom, sorry, to granting access to accounts. And then he was able to exploit this information to steal 
cryptocurrency and data from customers like company through companies like LastPass, Twilio, and Signal. Man, Signal, remember that's based on your telephone number. So I that's know. I, I hope they could just steer away from that. But anyways, this guy was using, as I mentioned, social engineering tactics, and they were sufficient enough for him to gain access. He was able to convince employees to divulge sensitive information. And he, through all this, he was able to steal some $800,000 from at least five different victims between August 2002 and March 2023. So that's a pretty good score in a very short period of time. So yeah, I mean, just another reason why you got to be very careful out there. The SIM swap attack is real. Shoot, even Twitter claimed to have been subjected to that. And how are they doing this? Again, social engineering, they're able to yeah. sweet talk people that are working in these telecom companies and get the information. And from that, once they have access to your phone SIM swap, it's game on. So yeah, that's an interesting story. The best part about this, a review of thousands of messages that Sosa and King Bob posted to several public forums and Discord servers over the past two years show that the person behind these identities was mainly focused on two things, SIM swapping, commonly known on this show, and trading in stolen, unreleased rap music recordings from popular artists. This guy's dropping unreleased beats and getting your personal data for them? <laughs> There's a market for that. Apparently. It's incredible. That's incredible. I should note too that uh, just one other thing here. Some of the services that were compromised, you know, Plex is a uh, basically like a uh, media, media server. server. Yeah. And so that's like, you know, that's in your in your home network, man. Like if, if you're giving up your Plex data, I'm sure there's more stuff there that could be damaging to you. Your IP addresses and things like that. Dicey, very dicey. Do not trust the Rogers or Bell or Verizon or whatever customer service rep with your privacy. Get off of all these things related to Sims for 2FA. Get off of them immediately. You're way too late if you haven't done it already. Let's talk about Neuralink. We better. This is the last story we have on the agenda here. They did their very first human implant. And yeah, this is the technology that's being developed by Elon Musk's company, Neuralink. And uh, through all this, we got wind that the first person finally received an implant. So they went through the screening. <laughs> that some, some dude decided he wanted to go through this. So they say the goal of this project is, well, some of the goals include giving people the ability to use their limbs again. So if you suffer from paralysis, they're saying that these devices that they're going to implant could potentially enable you to have access, enable you to give access to your limbs once again. And this is all through thoughts. And they say the product is called telepathy and this could also give you the ability or give the individual the ability to control a computer cursory, cursor or a keyboard just through thoughts. So I could understand there's a, a lot of buzz around this and especially people that suffer from paralysis or anything along those lines. This might be a way for them to gain um, mobility that they probably lost or probably never had. So I can understand why there's a lot of a lot of uh, hoopla around this. But the one thing I wonder, we all watch The Matrix. Yeah. Right? Like, I, there's nothing else I got to say. Feed me <laughs> the karate expertise via my Neuralink. <laughs> that's, I guess that's one of the benefits of that. But still, I mean, what else could happen? It could be control over you. Can information go another way where thoughts and images are implanted in your head? I don't know. And if it's done through telepathy... Through, I mean, so, they, they so, picked so. a name of all the names they could have picked, right? That's what they went with. And, you know, that's what I wonder. Like, if there's some sort of wireless connection here that's directly hardwired to your brain. <laughs> wow. Like, that's scary stuff. It's weird, man. Uh, 
there's a lot of promising things here, obviously, with Neuralink. You mentioned a few of them, like paralysis, recovery, and whatnot. I'm going to leave the uh, the listener and viewer with a my own quote of the week. Okay, you tell me who this was by, Len. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's, I have no idea who, who said that initially. Was that, that was by uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He's an, a French abbot. Okay. <laughs> so... I think I think that's where I where I come down on Neuralink. Uh, you can clearly see that uh, this is going to head in the direction we don't want. But you know, I'm not going to get the implant until the government forces me. I guess. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's uh, that's it for uh, Access of Easy. Come back next week. Enjoy more uh, quality content with Len and I. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube. All that good stuff. And until then, enjoy your weekend. Take care of yourself.